0: I know, 69 the following program is sponsored by know the truth incorporated today on know the truth an Easter season message from Philip DeCourcy
2: the furnishings of the temple were a delight to the eye but they spelled out two terrible words access denied and you need to keep that in mind when you come to mark chapter 15 where you read and the veil was torn and when you read that you should shout hallelujah Because there's another message being sent that there's a new and complete access into God's presence.
0: Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip de Corsi. The ancient temple in Jerusalem conjures up images of animal sacrifices and strict rules to follow. But even when all the ceremonial laws were fulfilled, Jewish men and women were never allowed into the Holy of Holies. Then Jesus entered the world to be the once and for all sacrifice, granting us unrestricted access to God. Today, Pastor Philip explains this radical display of God's grace. We don't sing Easter carols, but if we did, we'd sing Joy to the World, Let Earth Receive Her Risen King. Now here's Philip.
2: As you know, this is a time of the year where Christians all across the world are celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two great dates in the Christian's calendar, Christmas and Easter. And Jesus said at Easter that for this reason came I into the world. Both those things belong together. Here we are on the other side of Christmas celebrating why Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he did that through his death on the cross and for a few moments I want to just occupy your mind from Mark chapter 15 verses 33 to 41. I want to speak on the subject access granted. That's the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think I'll make myself clear here from Mark 15, verse 38. But let's read that in context. Verse 33, Mark 15. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by, when they heard that, said, "'Look, he is calling for Elijah.' Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, "'Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down.' And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he had cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There was also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joaz and Silome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sure you have, that we live in a world of access codes, security measures, digital barriers, restricted use. We need ID cards to get into some buildings. We need thumbprints to open our smartphones. We need passwords to retrieve files from our computers. We need PIN numbers to get money from the ATM at our bank or charge our groceries at the store. Some of us even have to enter codes as we go to visit friends or family because they live in a gated community and you need a code to access where they live. In fact, I was just thinking about access or gaining access and thought about some of the golf courses I've had the pleasure of playing on and the restricted access that marks some of them. One would be Preston Trails in Dallas. couple of years ago because of the kindness of Pastor Jack Graham at Prestonwood Baptist Church. Mark Hitchcock and I, along with Jack, got to play at Preston Trails in Dallas. That's a private club. One of the members is George W. Bush. So you only get to play there if you're a member. It's a private club. And the only way you get to play there if you're not a member is to play with a member, which we did that day. And that's not the only restriction. It's for men only, and you know what? Even if you're a man, you may not qualify because you've got to be over 21. In fact, we were told when we were playing there that day that Jordan Spieth, the PGA player, didn't get to play there until he was 21. And he was a master's tournament winner before that. But even if you're a master's tournament winner, you don't get to play at Preston Trails unless you're over 21. And when he turned 21, that was the case. So life is rife with restrictions, limitations, limited access. And as I think about that, the same is true spiritually. We see it in the Old Testament up until the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of man's sin, because of man's disobedience, man has been barred from direct access to God's immediate presence. And that's just written all over the Old Testament. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, In verse 22 to 24, and you'll know that when man was booted out of the garden, God posted cherubim there that were wielding flaming swords that did not allow man to re-enter back into God's presence. In fact, this is reinforced in the furniture and the structure of the tabernacle and the temple, because written all over the temple and the tabernacle are the words, inaccessibility to God. Because there were all kinds of courts you had to go through. And those courts were limited to certain people. There was the Gentile court, the woman's court, the man's court. Then there was the holy place that was restricted to the use of priests. Then there was the Holy of Holies that was restricted to the use of the high priest, and only once a year. And here's what's interesting. If you go to Exodus 25, 18 to 22, and Exodus 23, verse 31, on the temple curtain, or the veil that cordoned off the Holy of Holies, embroidered on it were cherubims sending the message that because of man's sin and disobedience and lawlessness, access has been denied. And so I want to come to Mark chapter 15 and verse 38, because when you understand that a little, and we're going to get into that a bit more, you'll see the significance of the words, then the veil, that curtain that cordoned off the holy of holies, that veil with the cherubim on it, reminding us that we're separated from God and dare not enter His presence, that veil was torn the moment Jesus died on the cross. A message was being sent. Now, it's one of four miracles at the cross. We're not going to look at them, but if you want me to at least list them for you, there was the miracle of the darkness that descended and lasted for three hours. There was the miracle of the sizable earthquake that split rocks around Jerusalem and perhaps throughout Israel. There was the miracle of the resurrection of the saints. And then there was the miracle of the tearing of the curtain, the rending of the veil. And with that, God was communicating, this is the beautiful thing, access granted. That's what Good Friday is all about. Access to God has been granted. You can know God. You can call Him your Father. You can talk to Him. You can be in His presence and have His presence in you. This is the beauty of Easter and the glory of the gospel. In fact, as I thought about what God has done in Jesus Christ, I was reminded of something that Joel Beakey communicates in his book, Overcoming Worldliness, and he tells us that the great Reformed theologian Charles Hodge ordered that the doorknob to his study should be lowered sufficiently so that the smallest child in his house could have access to his study and to his company. Isn't that beautiful? That great man of God said, hey, get that doorknob down a bit. I want the kids in. And you know what? God in the sending of His Son, came down into our world and lowered the doorknob and invited us to come into His presence. It's beautiful. So let's come and look at this text three things quickly. Number one, what I call the splendor of the veil. Then we'll look at the symbolism of the veil and the splitting of the veil. Let's look at the splendor of the veil first of all. Well, let's understand what that veil would have roughly looked like. It was a splendid thing. Now, if you go to Hebrews 9 verses 1 to 5, you realize that there were two veils or two curtains in the temple and in the tabernacle. There was the outer curtain, which separated the holy place from the rest of the tabernacle. And in the holy places where the priests would have offered sacrifices in the afternoon and in the evening. And so there was the outer veil, and then there was the inner veil, that separated the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was, where the high priest would have gone one day a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to offer a sacrifice for the people's sins. I believe it's that curtain that's torn when Jesus dies, the inner curtain. I say that because we'll see before we're done that the word that's used there is repeated in Hebrews 6.19 and Hebrews 9.3 and Hebrews 10.20 to speak of the curtain into the holy of holies and how Jesus has opened up a new way into God's presence. But if you go to Exodus 26 and verse 31 and you go to Second Chronicles 3 verse 14, you can read about this veal. Since we're talking about the temple, let's just go to Second Chronicles chapter three and verse fourteen. I'll read it for you if you want to follow along. But in describing what that veil ought to look like, we read that the veil is to be blue, purple, crimson, and made of fine linen and woven cherubim into it. Because remember, what's its message? Access denied. You can't come into God's presence. You're a sinner. And as we read the Bible and as we study history, there's other things that we learn about this veil, just speaking about its splendor. I'll go down the list quickly and then we'll move on. As we've said, it's blue, purple, and scarlet in color, ladies. It's embroidered with cherubim. It was made of a fabric that was beautifully embroidered, and we're told there were 72 twisted plaits of 24 threads each. The size of it, we believe, was about 60 foot high and 30 foot wide. Jewish literature tells us it was at least one inch thick. Some even argue it could be a hand's breadth up to four inches thick. And I believe the missioner tells us that it took 300 priests to wash it. Do you can imagine how beautiful, splendid, attractive, eye-catching this veil would have been? So that's the splendor of the veil. Number two, the symbolism of the veil. Now, let me just step back. I'm sure, like me, you have perhaps both traveled within our own country or perhaps had the privilege of traveling abroad and you have encountered castles and palaces and temples and mansions and structures, and they are eye catching. But I want to remind you as we come to think about the temple of Solomon, which has now been rebuilt in Jesus' day under Herod, that nothing compares to the original Solomon's temple. Because when you look at this building, you've got to remember that God is its architect. And that's what makes it totally distinct. Beautiful as it is to look at, you've got to understand that God designed it. And when Moses was building the tabernacle, and when Solomon was building the temple, they were told how to do it. In fact, when you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 19, here's what you'll read. And all this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. Now, David had the original plans. He didn't get to build the temple because he was a man of blood and Solomon did. But the point David is saying is that God told me what to write down, the specifications, the structure, the layout. So the symbolism of the temple is vastly important. I mean, you might walk some of the corridors of the great mansions of Europe. You might stand outside Buckingham Palace in London. You might be outside the Louvre in Paris. And you might walk through the door or stand on the outside, and there might be, you know, something that's catching. But when you walked every square inch of the temple, it all said something significant. There's no empty spaces or places. It's all theologically suggestive and theologically significant. And that's certainly true of the veil, which was a part of the temple, where we're told its color and its size and cherubim had to be embroidered onto the curtains. So much so that one commentator says, "...the furnishings of the temple were a delight to the eye." but they spelled out two terrible words, no admittance. That's the message of the veil. That's what God was communicating in this big curtain. No admittance. Access denied. Now, let me go back over the fact that everything about the temple communicated that. Because as you look at the structure, there were courts. There was the court of the Gentiles, There was the court of the women. There was the court of the men. And large numbers of people would have been in those courts. But then there was the holy place where priests would have worked and operated. Nobody else was allowed in there. And then beyond that, there was the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat the importance of that and the Day of Atonement where the people's sins would have been covered through the shed blood of an innocent sacrifice. And so you go from large numbers of people, you go from Gentiles to Jews, you go from men to women, you go from large numbers of people to a small number of people, the Levitical priests, and you go from the Levitical priest down to one person, the high priest. It's all restrictive. It all sends the message, access denied. And you need to keep that in mind when you come to Mark chapter 15, where you read "And the veil was torn. And when you read that, you should shout, hallelujah, because there's another message being sent. We'll get to it in a moment, but let me just reinforce what I'm talking about. I like what Mike McKinley says in a book on the passion. Listen to these words. If you were a normal Israelite, you could never come closer to God's presence than the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. If you were a priest and you were lucky, you could enter into the holy place, the area around the most holy place, for one week out of your life. But even as a priest just one week, you were still separated by the curtain. Only if you were named the high priest for a year could you spend a few amazing minutes in your whole life in God's presence on earth. See, we don't get this. And as Gentiles and those who are so used to the gospel, we don't get the significance. We don't get the jaw-dropping implication of Mark fifteen thirty-eight, and the veil was torn. You've got to understand what that meant to Judaism. You've got to understand the significance of it for the gospel. But the message that's being conveyed is the holiness of God, that sin separates us from God, And that to enter into God's presence, that must be mediated by someone else. That's what the veil is communicating. That's the symbolism and the significance of the veil. No entry into God's presence, but by blood sacrifice. (laughs) And in that day, it was just one man Hello, to lighten things up a little bit, I do like the story. I came across a real story about a a real sign, but funny, on the grounds of a convent. The sign said, trespassers will be prosecuted, and underneath were the words, sisters of mercy. (laughs) Well, there was no mercy to a large degree with you to try to approach the Holy of Holies. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Judaism tells us this that when the high priest went in to the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around his ankle in case he died on the spot. Nobody else could go in, so the only way to get him out was to drag him out with the rope. Trespassers prosecuted. So that's come to our last thoughts. Beautiful. The splitting of the veal. This is where we're at in Mark fifteen, thirty eight. Given that background, now you turn to this statement and you see its symbolism and you see its significance. This is prime time drama. And the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, some argue that it was torn by the earthquake. Again, there's, remember the other miracles, the darkness, the earthquake, the raising of the dead some commentators argue, perhaps the earthquake, maybe with an accompanying wind, tore the veil. I'm not buying. Because I think if you've got an earthquake and maybe a storm or wind, if something's going to tear, which is possible, I get the thought, but, you know, typically earthquakes and a wind don't tear things right down the middle in one go. Like some of our American flags that have been, you know, beaten by the wind, they're tattered in a few different places and we should renew them. But you get the point. This one was torn from top to bottom. I think the fact from top to bottom seems to be implied as if the hand reached down from heaven and tore the thing top to bottom. 60 foot by 30. Let's split the difference two inches thick, beautifully embroidered with the cherubim sending the message, no access. God just tears it in half. Plus, It's in the aorist tense, which by implication in the Greek would mean it was a single occurrence. And again, it's like this divine act. Boom, it's open. What's the implication? Well, I've kind of given the game away pretty much along the way. I think the fundamental implication is that there's a new and complete access into God's presence. I think there are other things worth at least noting. Some have argued it's heaven's outcry of grief. Because you know in the Old Testament, people tore their clothes as a sign of grief. Is it kind of heaven's grief at the suffering of the Son of God on our behalf? It's not a bad thought. Certainly, some argue that it was a judgment on Israel. The curtain was torn, access granted. The point of the temple has come to an end. Jesus told us He was going, the temple would be destroyed because of the sin especially of the Jewish leadership and their hatred for Christ and handing him over to the Romans we see this could be an act of judgment certainly it's the announcement of the end of the old covenant and the sacrificial system which tells us was only a temporary covering until that one final and full sacrifice was made for sin forever i think it preaches the acceptance of jesus sacrifice because it comes immediately after the darkness the dereliction, the giving up of his life for us, him commanding his soul into the hands of God, the earthquake, the bodies being raised, the temple torn. Jesus' sacrifice has indeed ended the sacrificial system. The old covenant is over, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. What
0: a radical display of God's love that ushered in the covenant of grace. That's Philip DeCourcy today on Know the Truth and the first part of a message titled, Access Granted. We don't want this Easter season to come and go without reflecting on what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how his resurrection changes everything. If you missed any portion of today's message, you can hear the complete broadcast online at ktt.org. We know that it's not always possible to hear the broadcast at the same time every day, so we've also made Know the Truth available on the KTT app and podcast. It's your generous support that makes these listening platforms possible where we can deliver gospel-centered messages that reach the hearts of men and women across America. And when you make a donation of $20 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you a great little book that offers some of the most important facts about Jesus' death and resurrection. You know us rock solid since The Resurrection and You is written by Josh and Sean McDowell. Use this book to bolster your faith while giving you compelling evidence to share with curious friends and skeptics. Request the resurrection in you when you give $20 or more to Know the Truth. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And you can also send your gift by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if it's the first time you've contacted us, we also invite you to request today's message on CD. Access Granted is an inspiring presentation of the biblical record of Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means for everyone who believes. Ask for the free CD when you call 888-644-8811 or online go to ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to return tomorrow for the conclusion of the message, Access Granted. It's coming up Friday on Know the Truth.
1: Okay, here's the deal. Mortgage rates went up this year, right? Wrong. If you're looking to lower your monthly payment or thinking of getting cash out of your home, mortgage rates are actually now the lowest in months. But the clock's ticking. At a cash call mortgage, there's no better time to take advantage than right now. Call us at 833-458-CASH. Speak with one of our refinance specialists today, and you may be able to lock in the lowest rates of the year before they're gone. We'll even get the process started without the upfront deposit other lenders still charge. That's 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today. Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage. NMLS ID 128231. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in all states, including New York. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. Don't let these low rates pass you by. All you need to get started is a phone. Dial 833-458-CASH. Again, 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today.